Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Welcome back, Kevin Durant. There is no other way I should start this show, but welcome back, Kevin Durant. He returns, and he looked good. He looked good, ladies and gentlemen. 23 points in 27 minutes, six boards, couple of blocks, great percentages as always. Oh, baby. I'm especially happy. I I have Kevin Durant on a couple of my regular fantasy teams, but I'm especially happy because I have Kevin Durant on my 30-deep team. And I know you guys don't really care about my 30-deep team, uh, but I don't care because I do. And now all of a sudden... Christoph Porzingis, by the way, is supposed to be back today. Uh, Kelly Oubre is back in the starting lineup and chucking like crazy. Kevin Durant just came back. I had those three key guys out, two of them for a really long time. And to get those guys back, which was effectively, well, KD and, and KP were my top two picks in 30 deep. I still managed to hold on to a first round bye, which is kind of amazing with how long Oubre and Durant were out. That's how... That's how strong my fantasy team was in that one. I think for the first time, well, I like maybe two-ish years ago, I had a really good team in 30D, but they all got hurt right at the playoffs. This year, they're coming back for the playoffs. We're in the middle of a bye week right now. Um, I got a legitimate shot if those guys stay upright the rest of the way. Root for your pal Dano. I'd love to get a 30-deep trophy. That's the oldest 30-team Big bopper league in fantasy basketball. Often imitated, never duplicated. The great 30 deep rolls on. There's a feeder league for that now, too. So if folks are kind of coasting and think they can just hang out in 30 deep forever, no. You'll be supplanted by someone who wants your spot. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Fantasy NBA Today is the name of the show. I am your host, Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. For those of you listening, welcome in. For those of you watching live on YouTube, welcome to you as well. Uh, I hope that if you are watching live, you'll like and subscribe to the video. If you're listening, come on and join us on YouTube next time. And either way, find me on Twitter at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. For some of you, you can just copy the letters right there on your smart device screen. Sportsethos.com is the website for Sports Ethos. At Ethos Fantasy BK over on Twitter, but let's go ahead and just dive right on in. We've got plenty to recap here from a medium large. I know that a small medium combo is smedium, but what's a medium large combo? Is that ledium marge? Chicago beat Detroit barely. Patrick Beverly, ten rebounds and ten assists and four steals. But look, he's been playing basically starters minutes for the Chicago team since he showed up. And this is the first one where he had any fantasy value. So I'm going to need to see this about three more times before I believe it's something real. For Detroit, James Wiseman, still not good at fantasy basketball. Marvin Bagley, still not good at fantasy basketball. They each had nine rebounds. So I guess if that's what you're hunting, you did fine. Bagley only got 19 minutes. Uh... Because Hamadou Diallo and Corey Joseph played a ton off the bench. It was weird. I mean, this is the magic of the Detroit Pistons. These teams that are down at the bottom, they don't have to try to lose anymore. So, 
you're really going to see a weird mix and match in Detroit. What I think we're also seeing here is how much better Jalen Duran is than these other front court options. But we'll, you know, we'll take that as we see it. If you have Jalen Duran and you're in a fa- and you're in your playoffs, you're probably forced to move on. If you're in some other format, hopefully you can kind of just hang on and and hope for the best. Boyan Bogdanovich came back. He was the offense, 34 points, and everybody else tried to scrape together a few. Killian Hayes was decent in his 24 minutes. He did have seven assists and three steals to kind of buttress, buoy his fantasy value, and he remember, remains a back-end point guard option. Bagley, he's someone you're really only even looking at in a points league anyway. Same story for James Wiseman. Same story for Hamadou Diallo. And Jaden Ivey came back. He's been decent, but again, he'll get you with those turnovers and free throw percent. And so onward we move here because I happen to think that that team falls in the maybe this is more effort than it's worth kind of department. But anyway, let's get to Phoenix because come on, who isn't excited about the fact that Kevin Durant is a Phoenix Sun? And not only, look, we were told he was going to be on a minutes cap coming back. I thought he was going to play around 20, and I still would have played him in fantasy in 20 minutes, but he got 27 and was excellent. 23 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, 2 blocks, 2 three-pointers, 10 out of 15 shooting. He just looked like Kevin Durant. Chris Paul, everybody's going to freak out, I'm sure, because he only had 2 points, but... He missed most of his eight shots. It's just a weird year for Chris Paul. He just hasn't been able to hit his jumpers. Feels somewhat anomalous. Maybe we could blame it on old age, but... I don't know. He's getting mostly the same looks he always gets. He's just not making them this year. Very strange. That's what's going to keep him down in the 30s. That field goal percent and free throw percent, both way down. Sometimes that happens when he's dealing with injury stuff. Remember that from Houston? It was always a hammy. This year, at just had the hip stuff going on. In any event, Devin Booker had a big ball game. I do think that, and for most of you, I know your, your league's trade deadlines have probably passed, but if they haven't, then this is probably a sell-high moment for Booker because I don't think he's going to get 26 shots every game once KD is fully settled in. He happened to be shooting the ball really well, and, and you know, Booker's still going to be good, but ah, this this... Maybe one of the better ones the rest of the way. Because they just won't need him to take 26 shots most contests. Josh Okogie, the question was whether or not he could maintain fantasy value even after KD showed up. And early indicators are not really. Two steals and a block is fine, but only four shots in 33 minutes. And it's just more guys all being kind of shoehorned into the same bucket now, where they got a few different buckets they could pick from before KD returned. But look, those minutes are Durant's now. Over on the Charlotte side, they did move Kelly Oubre into the starting lineup. I thought they might go Dennis Smith Jr. and get more of a distributor in there. But they went with the shoot first, which kind of turns Terry Rozier into the point guard. And, well, he and Gordon Hayward are the point guards in that starting unit. They're I just, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. If they're really actually trying to win, Ubre should be coming off the bench and firing like a madman. I don't. It's a mismatched starting five, but whatever. It's great for Ubre because he took 24 shots in this game yesterday. Mark Williams double doubled, great. Dennis Smith Jr. at eight, five, and six with a steal and two blocks. I don't have anything really wrong with that. I wasn't a huge fan of the four, six free throws, but the zero turnovers was nice. 
And then Gordon Hayward slowed down a little bit. Terry Rozier was awful. I know he scored 20 points, but yikes. 18 shots, missed a bunch of free throws, six turnovers. This is life without LaMelo Ball. Guys have to fill roles that they're not as accustomed to, and so efficiency is likely going to roll right into the toilet. Man, it's nice to see KD back out there. Go dance, 30 deep team. We're going to do this together, friends. Knicks blew out the Nets. Battle for New York was uh, not surprisingly somewhat one-sided here. Um, one of these teams has been playing way better than the other. The Nets have been kind of in free fall. It's hard to win when you lose your two superstars. Sorry, I know they got a lot of really fun wings out of the deal, and everybody was like, oh, this you know gritty Nets club now. We're really excited about it. And then reality set in, as we all knew it would. That team is not going to be able to score reliably. And then here they couldn't even defend reliably. Knicks shot 61% in the ballgame. Nick Claxton, when he's getting overpowered, I don't know what the Nets are going to do defensively. But no real surprises there. It's the same four guys for Brooklyn that have fantasy value right now. It's just that they're not winning basketball games. Knicks are winning basketball games. In fact, they've rattled off seven wins in a row, second longest win streak in the NBA to the 16 in a row for Milwaukee. Good Lord. Bucks are steamrolling the NBA, as we kind of figured they would once Milton got right. I know he didn't even play yesterday. Bucks are scary again, guys. Did, you, did we all forget how good they were when Brooke Lopez was anchoring the middle and they had all three of their studs on offense? Screw that. And defense. Drew Holiday is an amazing defender. Giannis, Brooke Lopez, they have a lot of really good players. Bucks might have repeated as champions last year if Middleton doesn't go down. But whatever. That's not a fantasy angle. That's just life. Uh, we were talking about the Knicks, and I got sidetracked because I wanted to see what they, where they were. They're the five seed right now, only a game and a half back of the Cavaliers. Knicks have a shot at home court in a round of the playoffs. Jalen Brunson was incredible again. Quinton Grimes got hot, so that meant Josh Hart got a little bit marginalized. He only took three shots in 26 minutes. I like the rest of the stuff that Hart was doing, so I'm not going to make too many adjustments. Emmanuel quickly has been pretty reliably scoring lately. They love the growth he's made on defense, so he is now very much a seventh man for New York. And the Knicks suddenly got, like, a little bit deeper. Josh Hart was a big acquisition for them to go from a six-player team that they trusted to seven. And then Isaiah Hartenstein's actually been playing better here lately. He's not an ad or anything, but a lot going right for the Knicks. I wouldn't expect Grimes to do this on a nightly basis, and we've seen that he isn't doing this, so don't overreact to one big ball game. Same story for Hart. Don't overreact to one slower ball game because he still had four boards, five assists, two steals, and a block. Just didn't really get involved on offense and was a team best plus 30 for the game. So they still just simply are better when Hart is on the court. And the Knicks are aware of that. I said a lot of things about the Knicks to, to finish up by saying no changes. Joel Embiid took a night off. Philly won anyway. Basketball Paul. Paul Reed had 16, 14, and two blocks off the bench. Philly went to a, a small starting five and kind of an odd decision. And then P.J. Tucker had four fouls in 19 minutes and didn't really get to play. Uh, they needed Paul Reed to deal with Bam Adebayo. I would expect Embiid back for the next ball game, but I guess we don't really know. And then the other thing is, do they 
do the Montrez Herald dance. We never really know with Doc Rivers until about eight seconds before the ballgame starts. And in this one, we didn't know until like six minutes into the ballgame which direction he was going to go. Of course, when Embiid is out, everybody gets a big usage bump, including, but not by much, our buddy DeAnthony Melton, who got all of five shots up. His usage was still very low. But his minutes became a bit more guaranteed without Embiid. And so this buys, I think, Melton at least one more game on rosters. Hanging on by a thread here, folks, but he's still hanging on. And on the other side, Kevin Love, 24 minutes, which, you know, honestly, 24 minutes is probably about enough for him to have fantasy value. Uh, not every day, though. And that's why he's remains kind of a fringy situation. Jimmy Butler left this ballgame early, still considered probable. It was a blowout, so you know, nobody really cared. Uh, if Kevin Love is starting, Kevin Love belongs on fantasy teams. Just understand there's almost no upside with him. And then we're seeing that the Heat really do kind of miss Kyle Lowry. Crazy though that may seem, Tyler Hero has cooled off. They need Lowry. And that big booty. And really more than anything, floor spacing. Even if he's not making it, they have to you have to cover him. Derek White hurt his neck. Relatively late in this Boston win over Cleveland, he's questionable for their next ball game. If he misses the game, that would be that would mean basically that that Malcolm Brogdon is guaranteed value on a given night, which isn't always the case for Brogdon. I was more excited to see Big Al explode. Twenty three points, eleven boards, three assists, a block, six three pointers, and eight out of ten shooting from the field, including you know most of those being three balls. It moved Horford back up to number 76 on a per-game basis this year. He still profiles much more as a roto-type guy than a head-to-head type guy because he's going to sit back-to-backs. But, like, here's the thing. He's number 76 on the year. It's not an accident. You don't just get to be number 76. The guys around him are KCP, John Collins, CJ McCollum, Michael Porter Jr., Anthony Simons. Ja Morant, interestingly, and I get it. If you're punting turnovers, then Horford falls down the board, as does a guy like Trey Murphy and Okongwu and Walker Kessler and all these guys that are kind of in that same mix as low turnover dudes. But if you care about them at all, Horford gets a bump from it. He's just Big Al. He's Big Al. He's hitting over two three-pointers a game, and he's doing it on 48% shooting. That's hard to dislike. He's not exciting, but he's Big Al, and he's our friend. Let's keep moving. There really wasn't anything in that ballgame. Milwaukee blew out Orlando because Milwaukee's just spanking people right now. Uh, I thought they'd rest some guys on the back-to-back. It seemed like, I think they had five dudes that were questionable on the back-to-back, and only Chris Middleton got the game off out of all of those guys. So Giannis, big ball game. Uh, Drew, big ball game, Brolo, no blocks, but he was solid as usual. But a situation is developing at the backup center power forward spot for this club. And we're seeing Milwaukee now, with the addition of Jay Crowder, more willing to go to a Giannis at center look, where Bobby Portis is exclusively playing center minutes now, so that's the first thing. So if Brooke Lopez is playing 30, Portis is relegated to basically 18 minutes. And here, Portis didn't even get all of the backup center minutes because it was a blowout. Myers Leonard got four of them. 
Had it not been a blowout, I think you would have seen Portis at about 20, 21 minutes. Or maybe you saw Brooke Lopez get up to 29 or 30. Either way, Milwaukee is, most ball games now that they have their offense back, more prone to playing Brooke and his rim-protecting defense than Portis, who's out there to go take shots, grab rebounds, and attack. I thought... Well, you guys know it. You heard the podcast. I thought that Portis would continue to play about 20 to 22 minutes per game and sit near the edge of the top 100. It's turning out that he's not even getting to that mark. If this continues, I would give Bobby two more games. And if he doesn't crack 21 minutes in either of those two ball games, I'll move on. But that's the leash now for how long we want to see this thing through. Orlando got blown out, but it didn't really change the rotations that much because they don't trust that many of their deep bench guys and most of their kind of, if you want to call it like the, not the scrubs necessarily, but the lower tier dudes on that club. They're they're playing anyway on a young team. So, you know, Franz Wagner still got 30 minutes and Markel Fultz still played 32 and Paolo still played 31, even in a blowout loss. The notable thing here was Cole Anthony kind of woke back up. He'd been on a, a rough stretch, about four or five ball games, and I think I said it seemed like he was slipping into a schedule stream spot. Maybe he pushes himself back above that with this ball game. It still feels like there's no guarantee, but if he is heating back up, then maybe this turns into a little run for him. I still am not using a roto spot on Cole, but I think if you haven't been head-to-head, this probably in sort of the similar vein to, to someone like the Anthony Melton, this buys a little bit more time before you have to make a move with it. Oh, a lot of folks just showed up to hang out with us on YouTube. That's awesome news. Maybe it's folks that were about to listen to a recorded pod and wait on it and thought, nah, you know what, I'll go check out the live one. That seems like more fun. You're right. If you're listening to this thing recorded after the fact, come join us on YouTube next time. It's youtube.com slash sportsethos. Everybody that's watching live right now, you can throw questions in the chat room, and we'll get to those after we get through the box scores and looking ahead to the Thursday card. Throw those questions in. Like and subscribe. Let's keep trucking. Memphis blew out Houston. This ballgame was not as close as the final score would indicate. Rockets won garbage time, for whatever that's worth. Uh, My Xavier Tillman two-day stream fell a little bit on harder times than this one. He still got 27 minutes. He just didn't have to do as much because Memphis went running out. Desmond Bain <laughs> powerbombed the Rockets, and uh, this one got out of hand a little bit. Houston side's the more interesting side, uh, certainly, for maybe two reasons. One big one. One medium one. The medium one is Kevin Porter Jr.'s back. He played 26 minutes. Looked like Kevin Porter Jr. Didn't get many assists, but he was out there and he was sort of doing his stuff. Jalen Green did not sit the back-to-back. He got 29 minutes in this blowout loss. So, I mean, here's the thing with Houston. They're, in my eyes, a lot like San Antonio. Not necessarily just because they're both tanking ball games, but because both of those teams are loaded with guys who aren't particularly good at nine-category format fantasy basketball. Jabari Smith Jr. can't do anything offensively this year. Hadn't been able to hit a shot to save his life, but for about three ball games all season long. Kevin Porter, uh, he's usually on the just on the right side of doing more good than bad. We've seen from Porter this year. You know he'll hover in like the hundred range 
which means that your good is just barely outweighing the bad. But then you got Jalen Green, who's, frankly, the field goal percent alone has been so brutal for Jalen that he hasn't been able to overcome it with the other stuff. Now, he's not getting steals or blocks, and his free throw is actually sub-average, and his turnovers are high, but it's really the field goal percent. So if you're punting field goal percent, Jalen Green makes a lot more sense. And with Kevin Porter, if you're punting either percentage or turnovers, he makes a lot more sense. Blah, 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 blah. I know. There's always a punt build. I feel like I need to say this once a week on the podcast. When I refer to someone as a points league friendly option, I'm also saying that particular punt builds, they make sense too. Because to be good in a points format, it typically means that a player is good in a couple of things, but also quite bad in a couple too. And when they balance out, they're a little bit below where you'd want them on a nine-category roster. But if you don't care about one or both of the things that are bad, then they become useful again. But that's a points league guy. You don't need to be good in a bunch of different categories to be useful in a points league. You need to be good in a few, and it doesn't matter if you're bad in the others. But the real thing here with Houston, and we've been talking about it all week long because it is notable, is Tari Eason getting to do a little bit more. What I said on yesterday's show, and I stand by this particular assessment, is that he makes sense as a speculative ad in most formats. He's played, he's played 28, 31, and 25 minutes in his last three ball games. Eason has. Two of those, you could draw a direct line to Jayshon Tate. Two games back, Tate was in foul trouble. He had five fouls in like 20 minutes, and so Eason got a few of those extra minutes. Last ball game, not this most recent one that folks can see on their screen, the one from whatever the hell day that Tuesday, uh, Tate sat that ball game. He rested it. Yesterday, Tate was in. He played. He didn't have a minute restriction or anything. He wasn't in significant foul trouble. And Eason just got to go more. Was some of that garbage time? Possibly. But was some of it just a realization that developing Eason is now more important than giving Jay Sean Tate 26 minutes per ballgame? It's hard to know with the Rockets because a lot of their developmental decisions this year have been... Uh, kind of weird. <laughs> kind of unpredictable. A lot of it, what we've seen at least, seemingly, is that Houston is trying to make decisions based on who's going to play better defense. And it does feel like Tari Eason is among the players that at least has a shot on the defensive side of the ball. I remain concerned that Tate's going to take those minutes back and as KPJ gets ramped up and Jalen Green gets fully ramped up and all that stuff, that this is going to put a squeeze again on Eason. But his fantasy game is so unbelievably robust. This is why we held on to him for a couple of weeks before the trade deadline in the hopes that the Rockets would move a forward at the deadline. They didn't. Spoiler alert. They just moved Eric Gordon. Uh, but if he's actually going to get there, 25 minutes is very much the cutoff for him to be a must-start play. So pick him up if he's available. Let's see how this thing goes. We're hoping for kind of a speculative ad that turns into a full-blown ad. But you want to kind of stay in front of it, so that's why he was a speculative ad yesterday, basically, or whenever. 
Lakers beat the Thunder without everybody. I don't know what the hell the plan is here with L.A. It sounds like D'Angelo Russell is likely to miss their next ball game. Lakers play tomorrow. And I feel like that's a tougher one. I'm forgetting who the actual schedule is. We can pull this up live on air. Oh, they're hosting the Timberwolves. Yikes, that's a really tough one. What a shame. Um, I think Anthony Davis will be back for that ball game. although Darvin Ham, the way he was talking about AD was... A little weird. They said, oh, this was planned. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to the Darvinham uh, pregame presser, but then all the little, all the aggregators picked up on it and kind of interpreted it in their own way. What I heard, and this is just my lone interpretation, so whether that's right or wrong, I'm not entirely certain yet, was that the Lakers were like, yes, this was a planned absence for AD from basically when he came back from injury this was a game that we had earmarked as a rest day. But I also feel like maybe part of that was this ballgame against the Thunder was earmarked as a rest game when the Lakers figured they would have LeBron and whatever they were able to pull from the trade deadline. But they were down LeBron and down D'Angelo Russell. And so it felt like once we knew that was the case two days ago, it really felt like AD should have been playing in this ballgame instead of the Memphis one. Now, it didn't end up burning the Lakers. LA somehow managed to sneak through this thing. Dennis Schroeder played through a tweaked ankle. Troy Brown got really hot. That was colossal. Mo Bamba hit three three-pointers. Lakers made 16 threes and, frankly, saved themselves. This win for LA might have saved the Lakers' season for the moment because they're now just a game back of the Pelicans' Uh, for that last play-in spot, and they moved back in front of the Trailblazers. But this is a huge game. The Wolves are 32-32. and 32. They're a game and a half up on the Lakers. Wolves have been playing better lately. If the Lakers don't have AD, I don't see how they win that ballgame. But with him, they have a an outside shot. And of course, with him, that means that Mo Bamba is probably not a stream anymore. Figured he would be yesterday, and he ended up being pretty good. And we know this about Bamba. He really only needs about 22 to 25 minutes to be a fantasy asset, and that's what he got here uh, with AD out. Troy Brown Jr., there was no way to know that was coming. Schroeder was an expected one. Reeves was a possible, he was like a coin flip we mentioned on yesterday's show. I thought Malik Beasley would be better. I like that he took 15 shots. He just didn't make very many of them. He's a guy I would definitely stream again. Uh, same story for Jared Vanderbilt. He's going to have, maybe there's a little bit of a revenge thing going on, but even without it, he's going to be out there going full energy mode. And so it just comes out to where do the rebounds go? The Thunder take a ton of threes. They didn't make a ton of them yesterday, but that forced Vanderbilt kind of away from the rebounding spot. He was out there defending key guys on the other side, and that makes it harder for him to get defensive boards. Um, and, you know, this is what you got. Seven points, four boards, a steal, and a block. I still think Vanderbilt is a must-own player the rest of the way, and that's where I sit with the Lakers. For the Thunder, who are without SGA for probably another game or two while he deals with COVID, Jalen Williams, obviously. Isaiah Joe's a guy we've been streaming with SGA out. He had a quiet one, and kind of we all looked at each other like, uh, where'd you go, Isaiah? Why would you only taking five shots for? Well, he got back in the mix here with 11 shots and a bunch of fouls. Joe, I think, is streamable. Giddy is a stream. And then Kenrick Williams, by the way, got ruled out for the season with a wrist injury. That sucks. But 
does it open up sort of an addition by subtraction thing? Can Jay Lynn Williams, L-I-N, can he now carve out that center spot? He played 25 minutes. He had 12 rebounds. He's more of a schedule stream right now, but let's keep a close watch on it just in case. And then finally in the late ball game, Anthony Simons tried to play through his ankle injury and, of course, re-aggravate. I mean, how many times? I'm so, I'm so irritated about this. I don't have Anthony Simons on any of my fantasy teams because uh, I figured he was going to generally get overdrafted for his scoring ability, and then Dame missed a bunch of time early in the year, and Simons went nuts, and then it became like, the most obvious sell-high spot in the history of fantasy basketball when Dame came back. Simons was up in the 40 range. He's now at 81. He's been pretty steadily falling over the last two months or so since Lillard got back in the mix and has been going completely nuts by himself. He's been Simons has been about a, a top 100 play for most of the year when Dame is around. Well, he's re-aggravated his situation you know, luckily for me, I don't have him anywhere. And if you guys listen to the pod during draft season, you probably don't have many Anthony Simons. Outside of spots where maybe you're sort of targeting points and threes and, and punting some other stuff. But what this does on the Portland side is it continues to leave open an opportunity for somebody besides Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant to take a shot or two. And lately, and this has really boggled the mind, it's been Matisse Thibel. He's out there, and he's actually taking shots in the Portland offense. This is a guy that, like, you couldn't pay him enough to shoot the ball in Philadelphia, but he's doing it in Portland, and it's beautiful. So Thibel must add player. We wondered if he'd be able to do anything besides just steals and blocks, which, by the way, you know you're going to get those out of him in starters minutes, and he had five defensive stats again yesterday. But eight boards? Wow. Four assists? Holy smokes. And two more three-pointers. Again, I think this is probably one of the best lines you're going to get out of Thibault. But the fact that he's doing a sort of a better-than-expected number in like two out of every three ball games right now makes him a guy that needs to be played in almost every format. Go check. He might have gotten dropped in some leagues where people were like, well, yeah, and like I did it. I had him in a bunch of spots, and then I kind of moved on in places where I was like, I don't really need steals in this particular league. Uh, well, he's doing more than that right now. So check on it. Go go at least look at the wire and see if somebody was like, ah, I don't really need defensive stats, and then moved on. But right now he's doing more, and Simons, my guess, probably misses another week here after trying to come back too soon. Uh, so we have a little more shelf life. And frankly, I think Thibault continues to play even after Simons comes back, even if the shot total comes down a little bit. We also had a tweak here on the New Orleans side. Trey Murphy came off the bench and played much better than Josh Richardson in the starting unit, and so Richardson was awful, and Murphy was better. Not outstanding, but better. 32 minutes is the thing you're looking at there. Ingram has been uh, pretty amazing on offense, but for the Pelicans lately, it's been about hitting the big shot and guarding someone, which they did kind of finally do in this ballgame. Jackson Hayes... Uh, and Willie Hernan Gomez filled in for Jonas Valanciunas. Hayes had the better ball game there, but the fact that they're just splitting the minutes pretty much down the pipe makes it really hard to trust either of them uh, in JV absences. Herb Jones only had one steal. He's still a hold, though. Starters minutes for Herb is uh, a pretty easy call. He'll be a top 100 play. 
And then just keep an eye on the Trey Murphy-Josh Richardson thing. This was kind of the fear there was, well, if the Pelicans aren't winning playing more Jay Rich, will could he is he guaranteed the, act, the opportunity to stay in the starting lineup? I wouldn't be that surprised if we saw Richardson moved back out of the starting five and Trey Murphy back in, but maybe they give it another game or two just to kind of see what shakes out. Uh, just keep a close watch on it because if Richardson gets bumped back to the bench... He probably doesn't become a must-roster in all formats the way he has been lately. Let's take a look at what's coming up tonight, the Thursday card. It's a smaller one. So remember last week, everything was kind of inverted coming back from the All-Star break. This is more normal. Toronto, I think we have a pretty good feel for what they are now that they're healthy. Gary Trent, Bench Gunner, Jakob Pertl starting five. Kristaps Porzingis likely back for the Wizards. Monty Morris still out for a bit longer. Someone told me lately that everybody's been saying his name wrong and that it's not Monty Morris, it's Monte Morris. And I feel bad about that. And I feel like we should have known because there's an accent on the E, but no one's ever really pronounced it. So screw it. I will. Monte, he's week to week, which means Delon Wright is week to week in our starting lineups. hey oh. Uh, Daniel Gafford, Denny Avdia probably now lose their value with Porzingis back. We can wait on confirmation in this ballgame if you like, but I feel pretty confident about it. Philly on the back-to-back in Dallas. I would expect Joel Embiid back for this ballgame. We'll see, I suppose, but it is a back-to-back. and I think Philly feels like they're pretty well locked into their pocket in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they won the game without Embiid yesterday, but... They're four games back of the Celtics for getting up into the top two, and they're three games up on the Cavaliers for falling back into the four slot and four and a half up on the Knicks. So I feel like they're kind of in their lane, and now it's an opportunity. You'll see Philly maybe rest people from time to time, which does put DeAnthony Melton kind of back on the map if they give Harden a day off or Maxie a day off or Joel another day off. Melton moves into extra stuff when that happens. Dallas has been struggling. They are in uh, feel-it-out chemistry mode, which is always the case when you put two primaries together. Neither one really knows who's supposed to be the guy in a given moment, and these things tend to take about 20 games to resolve themselves. Dallas is going to have to figure out faster than that, but we'll see. Otherwise, uh, Christian Wood, I I actually don't think he's on the injury report. Sounds like he's okay to play his mid-20s and minutes, but now with Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell around... That front court got real log jammed up, and then the wings are all log jammed too because they got THJ, Reggie Bullock, now Justin Holiday, Josh Green. I mean, I think Christian Wood's probably around a top 100 play, but he's iffy. And then you got the stars, and I just I don't think there's anything beyond those dudes. Indiana, nothing. Spurs. Uh, Trey Jones is back for this ball game. He's listed as probable, which that's a big deal. As is Devin Vassell. Kind of the big news from yesterday. Devin Vassell is off the injury report. So the Spurs might rest some other people to make sure that they have a nice shot to lose this ballgame. Keldon Johnson is questionable. Uh, Malachi Branham is questionable. I still feel like these teams that are so far down at the bottom, the Spurs are 15 and 47. The bottom three teams all have the same odds to get the top pick. And the Hornets are... Five games up on the Spurs. No, four games up on the Spurs. So I kind of feel like San Antonio could just sort of play their guys as normal 
over the final, what do they have now, 20 games left of the year? I just don't think they need to force a tank at this point because they're pretty safely in the bottom five, or bottom three, rather. But we'll see. Uh, I would expect Trey Jones to be on a minutes cap. I would expect Devin Vassell to also be on a minutes cap, so those guys would be really hard to use in a games cap format. Uh, but head-to-head, you can get them back into your lineups and just kind of hope that they do enough. Or if you really had a lot of wiggle room, you could leave them in your IL for one more day and just make sure that they actually get through this game healthy and safe and then fire them up. But this probably means that Devontae Graham is going to disappear, unless Branham and Johnson both sit this one out. Uh, I would expect Zach Collins to remain solid at the center spot. And once Vassell and Jones are healthy, those are actually two other nine-category guys. The Spurs might finally have some dudes that can be nine-cat assets here. Thank the good Lord. Clippers Warriors. Ah, man, this is a this is really intriguing because a week ago, I'd have told you the Clippers would run the Warriors out of town, and right now, these two teams are going in really different directions. Warriors just got news that Steph might be back next week. That's big for them. And the Clippers, while trying to figure out how rotations work with Russell Westbrook, are creating chemistry issues and losing ball games. Close games, because... The Clippers have so much talent that they're going to be right there, even in games where things are a little bit disjointed. But, you know, they're, they've lost three in a row, two of them in overtime, and then the last one to, I think that was to the Wolves, right? I mean, these are games the Clippers need to win. This is a game they're going to be fighting for, because this is basically the battle for the five seed. No one wants to fall to six. The Mavericks are right behind them to climb out of the play-in tournament. Wins are extraordinarily important right now. And the Clippers are screwing around with rotations late in the year. And Clippers media circles are super annoyed about it. We'll just keep an eye on things. Will Zubats continue to hold off Plumlee? Will Norman Powell continue now to get marginalized by Russell Westbrook? Will Westbrook continue to basically be playing the perfect Westbrookian game and, you know, holding that role together? But how long is that going to stick, especially if they're losing? He hasn't even gone full Russ yet, which, I mean, that's the optimal way to go, and it's still not really working. But it's not, again, it's not his fault. It's the fault of the Clippers for dropping in a high-usage guy at this stage of the ballgame and saying, hey, figure this out. That's a hard thing to do in early March. But we shall see. And then for the Warriors, uh, I haven't seen the morning update on Andrew Wiggins. I think he's still out. I, w- I think I would probably play... Oh, by the way, Keldon Johnson just got ruled out in the last 10 seconds. Uh, so he's taking a day off while they work in some of the other guys, presumably. Uh, back to the the Clippers, though. Um, or the Warriors, rather. Dante DiVincenzo is probably a start regardless. He's really carved out a nice spot. And then other than that, there's sort of no real surprises uh, on the Warriors' side of the ledger. And that is your Wednesday review and Thursday look ahead. For everybody that's hanging out with us on YouTube, put your questions in the chat room. This is when we're going to segue into that. For everybody that hangs out with us on the recorded side, I do hope you'll join us live on YouTube for the next one. Um, And also, check out our Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. I got to hit you with one promo in today's show. Come on, it's only fair. It's at sportsethos.com. Click on the Premium tab and choose Get Premium. It's just $5.99 for a month of the Fantasy Pass. 
There is no lock. You could just get the $5.99 and then cancel after 30 days if you want. That gives you access not only to the baseball draft guide, but also to our ongoing Fantasy NBA premium package, which means premium Discord access. You get the uh, one-on-one opportunity to chat with the pros. If you have questions, you can hit us up over there in Discord. And frankly, we have a free Discord that's kind of popping off these days. I love what we've been able to do over there. Frankly, I think that's over the last like seven to ten days. We've got chat rooms open for uh, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, golf, disc golf chat. We got some rooms now where we post our our free content where you can track it basically by feature if there's a particular one that you like. So uh, come join us in Discord. And in fact, what I'm going to do now, recorded listeners, you guys know it's in the description of the show. I think it's actually in the description of the show, uh, even on the YouTube side. But I'm going to post it in the YouTube chat room, and I'm going to throw it up on the screen right now while we're kind of wrapping things up here. That's our Discord link. I don't know how the how easy that is for you guys to click while you're watching the show, but if you can go over to the chat, you can click on that. You can pop in and join us. And I hope you will, because a lot of cool stuff's going on on the free side over at the Sports Ethos Discord as well. Recorded listeners, we'll be back tomorrow with a week in review show. We finally get to do one of those after weirdo all-star break situation we didn't really get to do it the last couple of weeks that's always fun for me uh, again i hope you'll join us live like and subscribe on youtube when you do if you're listening recorded please drop a five star on this bad boy and hit me up over on twitter at dan Bespris, d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s i will see you there and i will talk to you recorded folks tomorrow